John chapter 20, as today we entitle our series, our message, Rediscovering Easter. Rediscovering Easter. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, and if you'd like to take notes, follow along in the back of the newsletter, there's an outline for you. So, John chapter 20, Rediscovering Easter. Everybody has crucial moments in their life when they need God. My all-time favorite joke is this. An atheist professor was walking through the woods one day. As he walked through the woods, he was noticing the beautiful trees that got there by accident. He was looking at the sunlight that just magically appeared. He was noticing the river and the brook going by and babbling as it went through and thought, what an amazing thing that just happened to exist out of nowhere by chance. And all of a sudden, he was enjoying nature. He heard some rustling behind some bushes. The atheist professor looked back, and out of those bushes came charging at him a seven-foot grizzly bear. The atheist turned and began to run and tried to get away from the bear, but the bear was too fast, knocked the atheist down. As the atheist rolled over, he looked up to see the seven-foot grizzly bear come up with a great big paw. He's about to swipe down and kill him. It is at that moment the atheist cries out, Dear God, save me! All of a sudden, the nice gentle breeze that was blowing stopped. The trees stopped moving. The babbling brook froze there in time, and even that bear froze. And a beam of light came from the sky, and it came down right on the atheist's face, and up from heaven came the voice. You have taught children I don't exist. You have encouraged young people to walk away from the faith of their parents. But yet here in your darkest hour, in your greatest point of need, you call on me to save you. And the atheist professor thinks, well... I guess you're right, God. It is a little hypocritical of me not believing in you and telling other people you don't exist at this moment in my greatest moment in my life. Probably hypocritical for me to ask you for help. But if you can't help me, God, would you do me one favor? The voice from the heaven said, sure, what is it? Would you make the bear at least a Christian? <laughs> the voice from heaven says, sure, no problem. I'll make the bear a Christian. The beam of light leaves the atheist's face and goes back into heaven. The wind begins to move and the trees begin to sway. The river starts moving and babbling again, and all of a sudden the bear comes to life. As his eyes blink, he has new energy. He gets down on one knee and he says, Dear Lord, I am thankful for the food I'm about to receive. <laughs> <laughs> but what will you do in that moment when you need God? When you're a person who has already discovered Jesus, but you walked away. Today, our thought for my message and our, really our service is this. Jesus is worth rediscovering. When someone can call their shot about their own death, burial, and resurrection, that is someone you need to listen to. When they can tell you they're going to die and come back and actually pull it off, well, that is a person I need to reevaluate who they are in my life. You see, life is not a guarantee. I don't know if you know this, but right now there's a Chinese satellite hurtling towards space, and it might land on us. Michigan is in the direction where it could possibly land, right here in southern Michigan. It could land on you today. Please get away from me. <laughs> you know, you could say this about the Russians. We may not like them, but at least they never threw space garbage at us. It may not be a satellite, but something's coming. When that thing comes into your life and you need God... Well, then what will you do? Who will be your anchor? Today, we celebrate the greatest event in human history, 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know what's odd, maybe even the saddest? There are some who used to celebrate, but no longer do. If you're that person today, can I just offer you a simple thought? Jesus is worth rediscovering. Why do people break? Why do relationships break? I'll just three things about this as we get started today. Relationships break because of unrealized expectations. Uh, this is called marriage. Think about it. Every bride gets married thinking, he'll change. I'll change him. Every groom gets married thinking, I hope she won't change. <laughs> and neither is happy. And secondly, relationships break because of postponed rewards. You have an entire generation that seems to think, I want everything now. It took your parents 30 years to get what they have now. It might take you more than a semester of college to get it. And lastly, why relationships break? Because of unreturned passion. Unreturned passion. A married couple is having problems when they go to counseling. They sit down with the specialist, and the wife points to the numerous problems in their marriage. After about 10 minutes, the specialist gets up, walks over to the wife, kisses her passionately. Then he tells the husbands, now, sir, if this happens three times a week, your wife will feel much better about herself and your relationship. The man says, well, I can drop her off on Mondays and Wednesdays, but I go bowling on Friday. <laughs> you know, in these three reasons, these are the reasons why, well, these are the reasons why most marriages fail. These are the reasons why there's so many parent-child relationships that, that don't even talk to each other. You see, in the person we're going to study today in John 20, these three right here, this is Thomas. This is why Thomas decided to walk away from Jesus. Unrealized expectations. Jesus was supposed to set up his kingdom. And Thomas and the other disciples would begin to rule. This isn't what I planned. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. Postponed rewards? Who thought he was going to die? Where did this come from? You're going to die? I never had the thought that Jesus would die. And the other thought? Unreturned passion. Thomas loved Jesus, and I think on some level he thought it didn't seem fair. Listen to me. It didn't seem fair that God would take him away. Hmm. Thomas loved Jesus. But what does he do with that feelings now? Maybe instead of giving Thomas the name Doubting Thomas, maybe we should give Thomas the nickname Realist Thomas. Thomas the Realist. Thomas was just doing what everyone else was thinking and wanted to do. Thomas is just going to be the one who actually says it and does it. little thought about real, about a pessimist and an optimist. A pessimist can be a realist. As someone who has a tendency to be a pessimist, I kept thinking yesterday with the, the rain coming and then it was 40 mile an hour wind or 20 mile an hour and possible snowfall with our Easter egg hunt. I kept thinking Godzilla's going to attack, we're going to have a hurricane, an earthquake is going to happen, and the satellite's going to hit us at that exact moment. <laughs> Just seems so hopeless. But you know what? Pessimist can be a realist. Can I give you two quotes as someone who tends to be a pessimist? In defense of a pessimist, a pessimist is always right or happily surprised. <laughs> and I really like this one. I like pessimists. They're always the one who brings life jackets for the boat. <laughs> yeah. 
Thomas was devoted. You only need to look in John 11. Thomas was completely on board in John 11, 16. Then said Thomas, which was Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In John 11, as Jesus is going to Lazarus' tomb to wake him up, Thomas thinks, well, I guess he's going to go die. Let's go with him. In John chapter 20, we pick up the story. It's the story after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has already appeared to his disciples, except Thomas. Thomas missed that evening meeting. What's the point, he thought? Now, a little commercial. See what happens when you miss Sunday night church? Maybe Jesus shows up. But don't come tonight because we're not having it. But that didn't go well, did it, Gary? But anyway, next week, next week. Look at verse 24. We pick up the story. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, or maybe a translation, twin. Thomas was a twin. Was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore came unto him. We have seen the Lord. I, I don't know if I can put enough emotion into what they said there. We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I see his hands and the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. A pessimist or a realist? Listen, I've, I've been on earth many decades now. I won't tell you how many. 47. That's how old I am. I'm starting to tell people I'm 67. Because for 47, I don't look that good. But for 67, I look great. <laughs> But I've been on this planet for 47 years, and I've never seen this happen. Verse 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Thomas is like a lot of people. He heard the testimony of other people who had been with Jesus, who had believed in Jesus, but it wasn't enough. See, you talk to people about Jesus, and they don't accept your own personal testimony. Can I make one observation, though, about Thomas? And maybe this will help some of you if you're here today and haven't made a decision to accept Christ. One simple observation I notice about Thomas, he might not have believed, but at least he stayed with him. Think about it. You don't have to believe everything Open Woods teaches to be loved here. You don't have to like the pastor. But how could you not? <laughs> By the way, let me just remind you, you don't have to be Baptist to go to heaven, amen? Yeah. But if you're going to go somewhere, go, go first class. class. <laughs> Can I suggest to you, so I'm not 100% bored on with Jesus yet. I'm not 100% sure about everything you're talking about, Pastor. I'm not 100% with this. You know what? That's okay. It's okay. Thomas wasn't 100% either. And yet he was still there. And those of you who have been walking with Christ, maybe, well, maybe if we tried to stop guilting people or manipulating people, and simply love them and let God work on them, maybe then we would be more inclined to see them come back. Now there's a grandma in here that was born, okay? God told me to tell you that. That's not in my notes. Okay, grandma? We still friends? I love grandmas. Come on. You guys bring me gifts. Verse 26. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Jesus has his new body. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He has a new body. Um, we will have a body like this one day. 
I don't know if that'll be 33. People speculate on it. I don't really care about that. All I know is one day I'll have a body that doesn't have asthma. But what I do see of Jesus' body, he walks, it appears, the door is locked. You notice it points out the door was shut. It seems like he just sort of walks through the walls. There's a lot of great theories in physics, and I love science, and there's theories about how this could have worked and everything else. But let me just say this to you. If Jesus can conquer the grave, the headline of the story is not that he walked through a wall. Amen? If he can conquer the grave, I don't have a problem about anything else he does. So here in verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, reach thither my finger, hold my hands. I don't know how Jesus said this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this to be perfectly honest with you. I would probably say it a little snark. Oh, really, Thomas? You didn't think this happened? Why don't you come here and touch? You know what this is? This is like me after my team wins. You see, before the big game, I don't say anything, right? But after my team wins a championship, and those of you that are Lions fans, it's amazing when it happens. But when my team wins a championship, then I'm like, oh, you're not talking about the game anymore, are you? Tomorrow. 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 We'll talk trash afterwards, but tomorrow. Go for it. Anyways, that's kind of how I see Jesus coming and approaching Thomas, you know? You, uh, you didn't think these were here, huh? Why don't you come touch my fingers, Thomas, with the hole? Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither my hands, and thrust into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Now, by the way, there's no record of Thomas doing this. In verse 28, and Thomas answered and said unto him, this is a great response. My Lord and my God. This is a clear testimony of Jesus' deity. Not my like God or my became God, my God. This is a clear testimony of Jesus being the Messiah, my Lord. Thomas's hesitation to believe does not cast doubts on the resurrection. In fact, his willingness to wait for credibility lends more credence to his testimony and his decision. And then in verse 29, Jesus is talking to every person in this room in verse 29. And he says this, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast not seen me, thou hast believed. But this is us. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet believe. It's an amazing thing about signs that I notice. Just my observation about signs. People requiring signs lose a blessing. That's what Jesus is saying. How blessed more. How more blessed are those that don't need a sign and don't need me to physically appear to them in order to believe. I also noticed this other thing about signs. People that didn't believe, the people didn't believe when Lazarus was raised. There were people there that shouted crucify, that were there at John 11 when Jesus went to that tomb and said, Lazarus, in a loud voice, come forth. And Lazarus bound, comes out after three days dead. Oh, sound familiar? After three days dead, he came out. And there were people that saw what Jesus did, and yet they still didn't believe. There were Pharisees that saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And even after all of that, they still wanted him to die, and they didn't believe. So, sir, maybe, ma'am, maybe I have a little skepticism in my heart when I hear you say, well, I'll believe if Jesus appears to me. No, you won't. Because smarter people than you saw Jesus do things and still did not believe. Today, will you rediscover who Jesus is? 
How do I rediscover? I'll give you two things. I'm going to let you out. Number one, well, there's two reasons why I let you out. First, so you can beat the Methodists with restaurants, right? So we want visitors and company, and I don't want them to see how long I really preach. Amen. If you want me to preach shorter, bring visitors. Number one, two things. How do I rediscover Jesus? Number one, abandon religion. Abandon religion. We call that the R word in our home. Having little ones, and we've got our three that are older, now we have our little three that are three and under. I have three children under three in my home. You think this gray hairs die? <laughs> I had somebody come by here before, and it was like 8, 9 o'clock, and he stopped by the church, and he said, Pastor, you need to go home. You need to go home with your family. You're spending too much time at the church. I said, listen, wait, those kids don't go down until 9.30. That's not bad. <laughs> but anyway, the little house, those little ones in our house, we have certain things. There's you know, the, the S word, which is shut up. You're not supposed to say that. The H word, hate. You're not supposed to say these different words and everything. For us, there's another word, the R word, and it's religion. Religion is man's way to justify who he is and what he's already doing. Can I give you an example of religion? Last week I gave a uh, story out of Billy Graham's life about going to the tree stump, and I had that tree stump up here. And uh, thank you for whoever got rid of it. I had that tree stump up here and talked about what an amazing experience he had at that tree stump. This is what religion would do. Religion would say, okay, well, now everybody needs a tree stump in their home. And they need to have their own tree stump, a literal tree stump. Or religion would find that same tree stump Billy Graham prayed over and chop it up into little pieces and sell it for $29.99 on TV. Religion does ridiculous, silly things, but all it is is man trying to justify what he's doing to God. Let me just say this to you politely but kindly. You are a sinner separated from God. You can never do anything to justify yourself. Amen. That is why Jesus died on a cruel Roman cross for you. And I just thought this was an interesting thought. Religion will worship a tree and miss the Savior who died on the tree. I come from a long line of Irish people. I know you're shocked, right? Historically, my name wasn't Sheridan, it was Oshadigan. I think that's kind of cool. I'm thinking about going back there. You can't say Oshadigan without smiling, right? You say Sheridan, it's Sheridan. But Oshadigan, it just sounds like fun, doesn't it? But come from a long line of Irish people. My ancestors many years ago until St. Patrick got there were worshiping trees. Religion is not God. It's not God created. You say, but you don't understand. I was hurt by some religious people. That's not God. God is this. In one of you were dead a sinner. Christ died for you. Amen. Stop fighting God. Why don't you just accept what he did on the cross for your sin? And number two, Release your expectations. Release your expectations. You got mad at God for something. You thought he should have done something differently. God did not run his plan by you, and he did not get your approval before he did it, and you're upset. I know greed. In fact, I dare say I probably know grief more than any person in this room. I've been to so many funerals. I've preached so many funerals of friends and people that have been so dear to me. Why do I sing in the choir? 
not because I have a beautiful voice. If you notice, Brother Kelly always walks away from me while I sing. We start off shoulder to shoulder by halfway across the room. One of the reasons I preach in the choir and every time I sit or sing in the choir, every time I do, I always wear, or I always have a top or have on my possession these glasses. Anybody remember whose glasses these are? These are Mark Garcia's glasses. He led our choir when we were a young age of 42. Just left us. So I like to sing in the choir to take Mark's place. And I always carry his glasses with him when I do. That's the same reason I have a hat and a coat outside my office that belonged to Roger Moore. That's the same reason if you go in my office, I can see somebody think, what does he have that for? What's the purpose? Why does he have that stuffed animal? Why does he have that little trinket or thing? You go through my office and I can show you person after person who was important to me. Many people like Roger, who I said was a father. Many people like Mark, who I would say was a brother. And I have done their funerals and kept it together only to go in my office and cry my eyes out. I have my own dad's picture in there. I cannot comprehend why God chose to do these things. I know theologically there's a word providence that God is in control and we just, God does all, I cannot fully understand this. So when you come to me and say, God has not met my expectations, I know what you mean. You don't understand, Pastor. I've lost someone. I've gone through grief. Well, I'll sit down and talk to you about grief and about losing people and about having to say goodbye. But in the end, in the end, let God be God. Let God be God. Because as much as I have disagreed with God, and by the way, if you're here and you disagree with God, you're in company with me. As much as I have disagreed with my Heavenly Father about choices He has made, I have also come to the conclusion He is too good to make a mistake. I've also come to the conclusion that me saying goodbye to so many people is purely selfish on my motive because my friends have closed their eyes on this planet and been present with the Lord. Amen. And to wish them back is nothing more than my own selfish reasons. God is too good to make a mistake and He loves me too much to bring me down paths. And I have come to the conclusion that God is better than alcohol. That God is better than drugs. That God is better than materialism in trying to deal with my grief. Yeah. Or whatever you've chosen to replace God today. Yes, I know grief also. But I also know Jesus. Amen. And he makes better decisions than I do with my life. So maybe you thought when you came to Jesus everything would be perfect. Sorry if somebody told you misspoke. In fact, quite honestly, if I say this to you today, if I'm being truthful, when you accept Christ, you, you gain a friend, but you also gain an enemy. Satan's content with you just doing nothing. But when, once you try to get real with Jesus and start serving him, you'll start to see some resistance in your life. But that's okay. He can throw everything he wants at me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. I know grief. <laughs> But I know Jesus. You need to get to know Jesus. You need to reintroduce yourself to the one that conquered the grave. You need to come back to the one who resurrected and showed that he was God. You know what's great about Jesus? He's got plenty of room for doubters. 
He took Thomas back, didn't he? I want to tell you a story. When I was in Texas and I taught at a Christian school, I was a coach. I love coaching football. I was a coach of football. So my first year, I was the assistant coach, uh, one of them. And so first week there, nobody really knows me. And so uh, they're having a pep rally. <coughs> all right? We have our pep rally the very first week there at Canyon Creek. And what basically they do is they introduce the team, and then they call the coaches out. They call to introduce the assistant coaches and everybody for that winter sports and stuff like that. And the football team would be out there. And so I knew they would be introducing me. And I also know teenagers. I spent a lot of time with them. You see, not getting them to clap would be worse than if they did the golf clap. Nobody knows me. Nobody's going to clap for me. And school is the first week of school. So this is what I did. I told all my classes. If when they call my name and I go out there, if you cheer really loudly for me, next week we're going to have a test. We can either have an easy test or the hard test. By the way, this was a lie. I just had one test. I said we can have an easy test or we can have a hard test. And so there we went. The first pep rally was Friday. The last couple hours of school were canceled. There's a band playing. They're doing all these things, trying to get there. And you know, teenagers, Christian or not, either way, they're just sitting there like, what else do you got? This is boring. And they're calling out people's name, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, we know, you know, he gave me attention, whatever, whatever. Uh, and here comes the football team, and some of them, you know, their parents cheer for them, the rest of the kids are like, I don't play football, who cares, you know. Total teenagers, just blah, the whole, the whole pep rally was lacking pep all the way through. <laughs> Nothing going on and everything. And so we're about three-fourths of it in, and so, no, we'd like to introduce to those of you our new assistant coach, and he's teaching Bible and PE for us, and so... This is our new assistant coach. The principal's out there and he introduced me. He goes, this is our new assistant coach, Coach Sheridan. And I start walking out and the place go crazy. <laughs> because not only did my kids in my class, my Bible and science coach, they told everyone else. I had ninth grade and I had seventh grade. For some reason, they told everyone else. I said, if you get everyone else to cheer, we won't even have a test. I wasn't planning on coming We won't even have a test. And so they started talking and talking. And everyone in that stands, you could, I, I could tell what was going to happen. I'm like, oh, no, this might not be it. And as I started to walk out, I mean, you would have thought I was like, and he's going to hand out $100 bills to everyone. These kids are like, yeah! And they're just going crazy. I start to walk out to the center. And the principal's got the microphone. And he just gives me a look like, <laughs> and I walk up to the head coach, and he's one of my friends, best friends now and stuff. I walk up to him, and he leans over. We've only known each other a few weeks and stuff. He leans over to me and goes, what did you do? <laughs> and I just walked out like, yeah, I get this response everywhere I go. <laughs> and he told my friend, I said, I said, I'm just awesome. Get to know me, baby. And <laughs> What was the best part about all of that? I mean, it was, the best part about it was there was a parent. Uh, the parents were all the way on the other side. The parent comes out. I mean, this is like a thousand students in the whole thing, and all the parents. So the parent comes over and he says, uh, he said this to me literally, I don't know who you are, but if you can get that kind of reaction from teenagers in just one week, I have beaten you. Can <laughs> <laughs> I say this to you, church? Maybe we should cheer for Jesus more if people would want to meet him. And sir, ma'am, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time you came back and reintroduced yourself to Jesus, because He's been waiting with arms wide open, waiting with arms wide open to welcome.
Jesus.